Would you please rise as we um, read God's word? I'm reading uh, the New American Standard. Yep. <clears throat> and uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. <clears throat> and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with, his, with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were ter frighteningly terrified. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Mary Lynn, for reading scripture this morning. And uh, if you haven't already guessed, today we are talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. <laughs> That's right. It's no, it's that time of year, right? <laughs> and if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 2 this morning. And I thought I would begin with a reality statement today. Uh, Christmas is 10 days away. We have a week and a half. Uh, there is one Friday between now and Christmas. So let that sink in for just a moment. <laughs> And there's a lot of emotion right now in people's hearts. For example, some of you heard that and you immediately went into panic mode, right? Because oh, I've got way too much to do. Or uh, for all you Grinches out there, you're in frustration mode because you've got to deal with this for 10 more days, okay? Uh, you're tired of the busyness, the crowds. You want to sit at home and drink coffee, right? Turn, turn, tune out the world. I don't want to be a part of this. Uh, uh, so you can be the Grinch, that's fine. Uh, there's some people that are friends of mine who celebrate this time of year by saying bah humbug to everyone. And uh, for me, when I hear that there's 10 days left till Christmas, uh, it fills me with excitement. Excitement that it's almost here. 
And yes, I do get a little anxiety when I think of how much has to be done. Uh, my family usually, uh, with school and events and all this, we usually plow into Christmas break full steam. Uh, but we're excited about it. Uh, the, the excitement's still there. And besides, Cheyenne and I, we actually uh, got all of our Christmas shopping done two weeks ago. I know, be jealous be jealous but we did we got most of, I say all of it is most of it done uh, because I, I love Christmas I, I love all the different ways we celebrate Christmas I, I love the lights I love the songs I love the cookies I love the mute movies I love the music I love the excitement in children I love the cookies I love the times that we spend together with family I love the breaks from work I love the cookies I, I love all of it and every night when I travel home, it's like another house in our neighborhood exploded overnight with lights. My kids are excited. The little ones, they're like, it's Christmas lights. And Chris, Daddy, how come we don't have Christmas lights? Because we're cheap. No, we, 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 we like to see everyone else's Christmas lights and critique everyone else's Christmas lights. Because why do you have colored lights and white lights in the same building? You know, make it, choose a theme. That's what we say. Um, but we love it all. I love it. I love, I love wrapping gifts, uh, and I love having a tree in our family room. Uh, in the years that we stay here, we have a real tree, and so just the smell of a, of a pine tree dying in your room is just beautiful. I love, I love the little villages with the little lights in the houses, right? Uh, that's the kind of stuff my wife, uh, I, I made the mistake years ago of not purchasing them, but she loves It's a Wonderful Life. It's Really a sad movie. No, it's a wonderful, and she, she, she bought, or I bought her some of the village's pieces from It's a Wonderful Life, and we, she loves to set them out so people can see that she loves that movie. And it, I love all of that stuff. I love the different nativity sets. We have the really nice ones, and we have the, the little people one. Like, my kids have the little people one because we learned early on, if you're going to have something sitting out, you better have something for them to throw around the room. And, and we have, it's a little, little people and it's got a little stable. And, and I remember Grant lining up all the people inside the stable side by side like this. It looked like they were at a bus stop waiting. <laughs> but, and he's like, isn't that cute? I'm like, yeah, they, where's Jesus? He's, he was plastered on top of the thing. He was like stuck on top. But we, we, I love all of this time. It, it, it's, we, we pull it out of the garage and it's like Christmas, just getting into all the Christmas decorations. I love all of it. And I, I love it so much that well, I have to stop and remind myself of being careful, uh, of not letting all of this about Christmas take over the truth of why we celebrate this time of year. And as I was preparing for this week and studying, I just kept coming back to this thought that I want to take some time and just kind of reset my heart, reset our hearts back to why we celebrate. And I, and I, and I titled it The Heart of Christmas because I want to take us back to the heart of Christmas, if you will, here in Luke chapter 2. In order to do that, we need to look at this beautiful event of what we call the incarnation of Christ. So today we're going to be looking at Luke 2 and seeing the message that the angels shared with the shepherds and that they shared with us today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, Lord, I thank you for this time of year. I thank you that we can just openly celebrate the fact that you came to earth. And while there's perhaps millions of people around the, the globe, Lord, celebrating this holiday, Lord, there are so many Christians around the globe who are celebrating the fact that you came for us. And Lord, as we uh, remind ourselves today, Lord, I pray that you'll just encourage us. Lord, give us a sense of, of joy. 
And I pray that, that we would honor you as God in everything that we say and do. We love you so much. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. So if there was a single word that would describe Christmas and what it's all about, uh, maybe it's the word joy. Joy. Several songs that we sing at Christmas sing about joy to the world, right? Even the one we just sang, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Uh, angels we have heard on high. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? Or good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Or hark the herald. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph or the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. And, and when we think of that, we think of Christmas and we think of joy. I wonder how many of us feel joy this morning. And I will say perhaps it's easy to feel joy while at church. Because we sing songs and we listen to truth and, and we, we, we study God's word together. But what about outside of church? Do we really feel joy when we're at the mall this time of year? I don't. <laughs> Do we feel joy when we realize that we aren't going to get that Christmas bonus that we usually get? See, we might sing the songs of joy, but if we're not careful, we start to get the wrong idea of what joy truly is. We start to connect the idea of joy with the idea of happiness. We begin to think that joy depends on our circumstances. But joy, and joy during Christmas isn't like that. Where does it come from? Well, here in Luke chapter 2, uh, our scripture reading was verses 1 through 14, but I really want to focus in uh, here in verses 8 through 11, and especially verse 11. And let's see if we can find where joy truly comes from. Look at verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A chaplain at Duke University said, Christmas is a delightful disruption of the way things normally go. And I agree with that. I like the phrase, a delightful disruption. Because it kind of captures Luke chapter 2 here. Maybe it doesn't capture your spirit at this time of year. Uh, the malls are crowded, the streets are crowded. It's not really delightful. Well, no, here in Luke chapter 2, it's this delightful disruption. The shepherds, one moment, are tending their sheep in the middle of the night. And in the next moment, they're being scared out of their minds by this angel and then the angelic choir. And I don't know how delightful that is, but it's certainly a disruption. And the message from the angels is the heart of Christmas. The message is that source of joy, which is why the angel says there's good news of great joy. And so if you're looking for joy this morning, or you just want to take a moment and reset yourself back to the heart of Christmas, let's look at these words from this angel here and see what is the true meaning. The first thing I noticed that the message came, given came with an understanding that this wasn't new news. No, the prophets in the Old Testament had been speaking of this for centuries. All right, verse number 11. The angel says, uh, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
The first thing I want to talk about is the prophecy of his coming. The angel mentions that this baby was born this day in the city of David. The city of David is not Jerusalem. The city of David is a small town five miles south of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. We know the story because we saw it back up in verse number four. They traveled to Bethlehem. If you were to go to Bethlehem today, uh, modern Bethlehem is a, a, a bustling town. It's filled with several thousand people. Uh, they are constantly traveling uh, through the narrow streets. The streets are pretty narrow there in Bethlehem. Uh, the major industry of Bethlehem is tourism. They are a big tourist place. I wonder why. It's mentioned throughout the Bible. They get a lot of people coming to the city where Jesus was born. As a matter of fact, one of the most important sites in Bethlehem uh, is called the Church of the Holy Nativity. The Church of the Holy Nativity is uh, located near the center of the city. Uh, it's the oldest church in Israel. It dates back 1,700 years. Uh, it's found there in the city. Uh, called that because of the whole tradition of where Jesus was born. Because it's close to Jerusalem, only about five miles Bethlehem has always existed as this kind of lodging place for travelers to the capital city of Jerusalem. Uh, throughout the years, millions of people have used Bethlehem for lodging while they were visiting Jerusalem and the rest of the Holy Land. Uh, five miles, that's about from here to Round Lake, uh, for those who want to judge distances. And in Bible times, it was used for similar purposes. It was used as kind of like this stopover for people traveling to the holy city because you could stay in Bethlehem and then you could walk the five miles in, a, in an hour or two to the holy city and then travel back uh, if you didn't want to stay there in Jerusalem. Back in 1867, a Boston pastor named Philip Brooks uh, visited the Holy Land at Christmas time. And when he visited, Bethlehem was still this very small town. Uh, and when he returned, he wrote a poem. His poem said this, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Recognize it? When he wrote it, it was this quiet, peaceful place. Well, why is it called the city of David? It's called the city of David, well, because that's where David's from. As a matter of fact, uh, he could have easily been tending sheep in the same location as the shepherds here in Luke chapter 2. And because Mary and Joseph, when you study the lineages uh, of, the, of, of those two, one in Luke 3 and one in Matthew chapter 1, you find out that Mary and Joseph are both descendants of David. They come from his family line. And so the census from Rome has, has told them, hey, you need to go back to your hometown so that you can register so we get a number of the people. I would call that a delightful disruption. Because what is Mary at this time? Mary is very much pregnant. She's very much pregnant, and now she's got to travel uh, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem some 80 miles. And she can't really jump in her car and drive or get in a plane and fly. She's got to walk. Oh, and I found, I found this interesting. There's no record here that Mary rode a donkey. You know, we often put her on a donkey in the pictures. But there's no record that she rode. Hats off to Mary. Or maybe they did. We, obviously, we don't know. But she travels down to Bethlehem, pregnant. Joseph's right there with her. We got to go. How many times does the government make you do something? Never mind. I'm not going into that. But why do they have to go there? Why do they have to be down in Bethlehem? Well, we know that God is, is, is sovereign and God knows exactly how he's playing this whole thing out. Back in Micah chapter 5 in the Old Testament, we see this verse. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. The phrase there, too little to be among the clans of Judah. The prophecy to Micah here was around 700 B.C., 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And at that time, Bethlehem was simply just a few houses. It was like almost like, and it wouldn't even be a village. It was just this tiny little section of, of a few houses. And no one would have ever named it one of the top vacation spots in Israel. And when Jesus was born there, it still was nothing to be considered magnificent or great. It's just a tiny village. You, Bethlehem, you are too little, but from you shall come forth for me. Jesus was prophesied that you're going to be born there in Bethlehem. And by the way, all the Jews knew that. Or at least they've heard the prophecies. Uh, Let me just take you over to Matthew 2 and let me show you what I mean. In Matthew 2... Uh, we have the story of the wise men, the magi, if you will. And it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, okay, the wise men from the east came from Jerusalem saying, hey, where is he who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So, so Herod is in Jerusalem, these wise, wise guys, right? The wise men show up, and they say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. We saw his star, uh, and we've come to worship him. Now, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born isn't that interesting they show up looking for the king of the Jews Herod hears that and he gets troubled and the people listening to this conversation are troubled he seeks out the wise people of his his uh, entourage if you will and he says where's the Christ supposed to be born They told him in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, O you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means, they quote Micah here, Micah chapter 5. So when Herod asked where the baby boy was supposed to be born, the council leaders knew, because they had the words of Micah, they recognized those words are prophetic there, and they say he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And I've always been fascinated by those people in Jerusalem. Like, they have the words. They have the prophecies. And even though these magi show up, even though the Jewish council knew the prophecies, and they knew the town of Bethlehem is five miles away. It's not like around the world. It's really close. There's not any evidence of any of those wise people from Jerusalem going to see in Bethlehem if it was true. They're totally indifferent. And they missed the most important event in history of the world at that point. Why? Because they didn't see it. They didn't care. What a contrast to the shepherds here in the field. They hear the message. And they, when you look down in verse number 15 of Luke chapter 2 here, and it says the angels are gone. The shepherds said one to another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has made known to us, they, they immediately go and find out. So while the council leaders have the word of God, they have the truth, they refuse to act upon it. The shepherds who knew very little immediately responded and acted upon that message. 
So which one of those are we? Which way do we respond to the truth? Are we so caught up in the cares of everyday life that the truth is just there and we don't give a second thought for it? Or do we dig deeper into this word and we find out more about the promises of God? I often, because uh, I've been thinking about it this week, I often wonder how many people who later followed Jesus in his ministry and maybe even trusted him as their savior realized when they started doing the logistic thing, because that's what we do, right? Oh, you were here at this point? Well, I was here. That was pretty cool. I wonder how many of them were in the Jerusalem-Bethlehem area when Jesus was born and that they missed the birth and later on were like, oh, man, I missed that. One more thing about the, the matter of truth. The, the wise council of Jerusalem knew But knowledge alone is not enough to save you. See, it's what you do with the knowledge that makes a difference. So the prophecy of his coming was, hey, he's here. So the angel mentioned, the sign is there. He is born in the city of David. A fulfillment of prophecy 700 years beforehand. And now look at the text secondly, and let's see the reality of his coming. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. And this will be a sign you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The phrase in verse 11 is born this day. And in verse 12, we see the the phrase a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. These words speak to the fact that what happened in Bethlehem was nothing less than the birth of a baby named Jesus Christ. A baby is born. Now, why does that matter? A few weeks ago, we celebrated two new, two new babies in our church over the last several months. Is that a, it's a big deal, right? It's a baby. But I can tell you, when my children were born, each one of them, and, the, and the, the whole birthing thing, there was no angels telling anyone that my children were born. There was me telling people, <laughs> he's born. I'll never forget, when Cody was born, all of our children were born on a Friday, except Cody. Cody was born on Sunday, and we were in North Carolina, and, and the good Baptist church there had Sunday morning church and Sunday night church, and in the afternoon, we went to church that morning, and we went to lunch, uh, and we ate at McAllister's, a nice deli place, and we, we ate, finished eating, and Cheyenne's like, you know, I think we need to go to the hospital. <laughs> what? She goes, well, I've been having contractions since church. I'm like, we went to eat. She goes, I know, I was hungry. Anyway. So we went to the hospital in the afternoon. Well, anyway, he was born at 7, no, excuse me, 620, no, 7.20, 7.20-ish. And I, I remember it was in the evening because I remember as soon as he was born, I start texting people. I'm telling, you know, my, my, my mother-in-law's there, but my parents are at the, and I'm texting different people. I text some friends. And later on, I found out that my friends were in church and their phones started going beep, 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 beep. And they were like looking, and there's like people across the way looking at each other, and they're like, the baby's born. See, angels come in all kinds of ways, little phone messages. No, when, when, when a child is born, yes, it's a beautiful thing, but it's, it's not like this world announcement. Of course, when Prince William and Kate had their baby... Right? The whole world knew. There's a new baby. But did any of us go see it? No. 
The baby's born. The day has finally come. But more than just a royal baby in the line of uh, in England, now we're talking, this is a long-awaited Messiah. The day has come. Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And I put more than just verse 4. We often look at verse 4 at this time of year, but look at the rest. To redeem those who are under the law. By the way, who's under the law? Every single one of us. To redeem those so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so that we're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The reality of that beauty, beautiful baby boy in the manger was meant that now that the time has come that God is going to provide us a way so that we are now called the sons of God. We are now the heirs through God because of what this baby in the manger represents. Throughout the Old Testament, there was that promise of a Messiah, a Redeemer, and now he's here. The prophets wrote about him and they looked forward to seeing him. Maybe they even thought that he was coming in their lifetime. But yet, if you study history, you find there's a 400-year gap from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We kind of studied that with Daniel a little bit. And I often wonder if people during those 400 years kind of just gave up along the way. It might explain why the council leaders from Jerusalem don't visit. Ah, that's another news. But how many of us get caught up as well? We wait patiently, but Christ hasn't come back. We know the promises. We know he is coming back, but it's taking so long. And we're just about to give up on it. And we start to just go about our daily lives. And the second thought towards Christ's return, it just kind of passes by. And maybe that's what happens to our joy. Maybe we start to lose the joy and the hope that Christ is coming and our joy starts to fade. Because listen, true Christmas joy, true Christian joy doesn't fade when the days get long. It continues on because it's not based on my circumstances. The joy I have in Christ is solidified in the fact that just as he fulfilled every promise from his first coming, he's going to fulfill every promise for his second coming. He will come back. And so that continues me on. It doesn't make me lose the joy that I have in him. And as we read a few weeks ago in Romans 8, that promise is that nothing will separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Not, not death, not life, not angels, not rulers, and we've seen it before, not things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of doesn't that give you joy? Doesn't that give you hope? Yes, afflictions happen. Yes, trials in this life are difficult. No one disagrees with that. But the trials that we go through are not greater than your Savior. The afflictions that you face are not stronger than your God. So you can have joy in trials, James tells us. Because we serve a God who's greater. And I know that one day, whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's next month, whether it's next year or next decade or beyond, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that one day he will open the sky, not with angels, but he will open the sky with his return. 
Now, what does that mean for us with the reality of his birth? Well, two truths about his birth, the reality that he is born. It says he's born this day. And if you go back to verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Famous verse, we've heard of it over and over every year. But do you notice that there's no uh, miracle associated with the physical birth of Jesus? Even though we talk about the virgin birth, right? That's important to remember that that miracle happened months earlier. We taught it last week with the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary with the result that although she's still a virgin, she's pregnant. That is an enormous miracle that's never been repeated in the history of the world. However, from that point on, there's no record that, that this pregnancy was any different than any other pregnancy. That she followed the normal course leading up to giving birth in a stable or a cave in Bethlehem. And I will say, because I like him, hats off to Joseph uh, because he probably helped deliver that baby. I know that when my wife, I was in no condition to help. It's like, I'm, just, I'm fine. Can I have some drugs too? Anyway, uh, he helped deliver the baby. The other thing is what the words this day, born this day, it means that it really happened. Uh, a famous uh, author named Francis Schaeffer, uh, he once talked about this idea of lower story truth and upper story truth. He says that lower story truth is made up of facts of history, things that happened at a certain time or in a certain place to a particular people. For example, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated at Ford's Theater in 1865. That's a fact. That's a truth that, that, that is verifiable. He says that's lower story truth. Upper story truth refers to this idea of fables and stories kind of like Aesop's fables, that, that everyone knows they're not true, but we learn truth from them. I will say this. There are many people who are celebrating Christmas this year, who are celebrating the Christmas season, and, and they see the story of Luke chapter 2, and they say it's upper story truth, that it's too fantastic to be real, uh, it's impossible, but it's just there to give us a sense of joy, a sense of good feelings. And yes, it's the, it's the Christian side of it, but, but we just, you know, it's, it's just part of the Christmas spirit is how they look at it. One seminary professor calls it theological fiction. That the story of Jesus being born in a manger was made up by the early church to explain how Jesus was unique. From everyone else. Now I mention that to say, on the contrary, the church, that is the true church, has always believed that this event is lower story truth, is fact. There was a birth of Jesus Christ, that he did come through a virgin, that I believe that Jesus Christ literally came to this earth through the birth from the Virgin Mary, and that his earthly body was in every way as real as yours and mine. The Apostles' Creed says it this way, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That's something that I believe all Christians have always believed. 
To put it in Francis Schaeffer's terms, I believe it to be a lower story truth. That is, it actually happened in a specific place at a time for a particular people. The reality, he's born. His birth is foretold, and now we have the angels announcing that he's actually here. And we get to the climax. Notice, it says, born this day in the city of David, what? A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That phrase, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, is our English translation. In the original language, there are no articles, meaning that when Luke wrote it, he said, born this day, Savior, Christ, Lord. That's just what he called him, Savior, Christ, Lord. And each one of those words, I think, are so important. Because what is the result of his coming? First of all, it's the word Savior. The word Savior is actually from the Old Testament. And it means one who delivers his people. And listen, I don't know about you, but I think all of us desperately need a Savior. And when the angels first appeared, notice what they said in verse 10, that it was good news of great joy. The word good news, uh, sometimes called good tidings, uh, that's the Greek word that we get the word gospel from. That's where we get gospel. It was good news. As a matter of fact, I originally planned the title of this, The Good News of Christmas. Because that's what it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That he had come into this world. And he had come to take our place. How's that good news? The good news is, first of all, in order to have good news, you have to understand that there's also bad news. You ever had someone come to you and say, well, I have good news and I have bad news. How many of you are the people that want to hear the bad news first? You know, just get it out of the way, right? Tell me the bad news because then I can finish on the good news, right? Who wants to hear the good news first? Not many people, right? Maybe one or two. Yeah. Then give me the bad news. Then tell me the good news. What's the bad news? The bad news, you already know. Each and every one of us don't deserve eternity with God we're all sinners we are all broken and because of that sin the Bible describes us as being in darkness that we're looking around for an escape and there's none to be found and the prophet Isaiah said that those people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them light has shone and the light that came down shine among us and that we saw ourselves for who we are. As a matter of fact, last week we saw it in Matthew chapter 1. It says, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so this morning I'm celebrating the fact that my Savior was born. And, and, and I love babies. I love little infant babies. And, and I love just holding them and seeing them because I know that their eyes are just taking in the world for the first time. And I, I feel bad because they have to look at this face when they see me. But they, they're, just, they're just, I'm wondering, boy, what was Jesus like? There was his eyes just looking around for the first time. And I often wonder how much he really knew in that moment. Because you know, if you don't know, when you hold a baby, do you notice how different you talk? Oh, look at you, little baby. You know, you start getting all these little things. And I wonder if Jesus is sitting there going, yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I wonder how many kids feel that way. They just can't articulate it. But whatever he did know, 
By the time he's 12, he says, I must be about my father's business. When he gets into his ministry, he says, I've come to save that which was lost. Whatever he knew in his birth, I know that he came to take my place, to be my savior. And yeah, this morning I made the joke that we're talking about the resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because I think that's important because you cannot talk about his birth without also talking about what he came to do. That's the heart of Christmas. That my Savior is born. So he's called Savior. Then he's called Christ the Lord. The word Lord is the word for deity. It's a Greek word, kurios. It's also used for God, a synonym. That Jesus came to be Lord and ruler of the universe. Colossians chapter 1 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Later on in that chapter, it says that in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of God. When I see the baby in the manger, I see the Lord. I see God. I see that he alone deserves the worship as God. And I say this morning that as Christians, we're called to make him Lord. We are called to make him Lord of our life. And that means that I surrender myself to him. I surrender my will to him. And I let him lead in every aspect of my life. And I said, that's a challenge. Because we live in a great nation. And we, we have been blessed. And we, have, we, have, we feel like that we have the right to do whatever we want to do. Part of the reminder of who we are and who Jesus is, is that Jesus is to be Lord of your life. But wait, what about what? No, no. Jesus deserves the complete authority. Jesus deserves to be in control of every aspect. As Paul says in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So my question also is, why are you hesitant to let him have control? Is it pride? Is it fear? See, the angels proclaim a Savior, Christ the Lord, is here. The third word is the word Christ. The word Christ is a Greek word, Christos. Uh, it connects us to the Hebrew word, Hamashiach, uh, or we get the word Messiah from it. Uh, that simply means anointed one. Uh, it's the one uh, that basically for throughout the Old Testament as the one that was sent from God, the promised one from the beginning. He's that descendant of Eve who's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's that ruler of the house of David in whose kingdom there shall be no end. He's the seed of Jesse, that tender plant who would then be despised and rejected of men. He's the one who will be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And by his future stripes, we would be healed. That's the heart of Christmas. That God would love us enough to send his only son. And think of it like this. He didn't send a committee. 
He doesn't write a book. He doesn't send a substitute. No, when God got ready to save the world, he sent the very best that he had, his one and only son. And in sending Jesus, as we saw a minute ago with the word Lord, he's really sending himself. Which is the ultimate truth at Christmas that God is with us, Emmanuel. So the prophecy of his coming, the reality of his coming, the result, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And finally, let me show you the purpose. Go back to the beginning of verse 11. And you'll notice to whom the message has been addressed. So the angel shows up in verse uh, uh, 8, or excuse me, verse 9. The angel appears. And I love the story because the shepherds are sore afraid. The King James there says they were sore afraid. They were literally hurting themselves. They were so scared. And we often think angels are like, ooh, look, the little floaty angels. And it's like, you have no idea. That, that, that every time an angel appears, the first words out of the angel's mouth are like, hold on, don't be afraid. I'm on your side, right? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I'll come back to that. And then it says, here's the message. For unto you. See, for the shepherds that night, they must have been amazed. The Messiah had come for them. For unto you is born this day. See, we, over tend, to, we, we, we tend to overlook the fact that, that the, the shepherds were near the bottom of the social order. They were often poor, uneducated, and as I mentioned last week, some of them were many, many, uh, very young. The shepherds were probably not the career choice. It was done more out of necessity. One writer I was reading described it this way. He said the Judean shepherds were the lowest of the low, socially common men, a despised class with a bad reputation. Shepherds were known as thieves because they were nomadic, and as they moved their sheep around the country, sometimes they got confused about what was mine and what was yours. They were all tarred with the same brush, untrustworthy and dishonest. They were not allowed to give testimony in a Jewish court, uh, they, their work made it impossible for them to observe the Jewish ceremonial laws and temple rituals. They were also considered religiously unclean and unacceptable. So when you put all that together, he says, it's amazing to think that this heavenly invasion came to the outcasts. And I say, that's what Christ does. When the angel says, for unto you, he's really saying, Christ came for you, the lowly shepherds. When Christ came, his birth is first announced to the outcasts of society. That they're the first ones who need to hear the good news about Christmas. And I think there's a beautiful lesson there for all of us. That our Lord came for the forgotten people of earth. Our Lord came for the ones who desperately need him. And most of the time, those are the ones who receive him with the greatest joy. The day, the place in which we live, have a huge outpouring of people who, are, among worldly standards, are rich. And rich people often have no time for Christ. But the poor welcome him in as an honored guest. For unto you. Now, let me finish by making a simple I think, clear application. The angel said, For unto you is born this day 
and the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Unto you, for you. And this is where Christmas becomes so intensely personal. Because it's not enough for me to abstractly say that I believe that Christ came. Millions of people say that and they're still lost in their sins. It's not enough for me to say that Christ came for someone else. Listen, we will never be saved until we realize that Christ came for me. He came for you. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you. That's the greatest gift you can receive at Christmas. Is knowing that for unto you is born this day. The gift of knowing that our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, is here. And that His purpose is here. And He's to provide each and every one of us with eternal life. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty amazing to me. And that's, well, joy. I started today by saying 10 days until Christmas. In 10 days, the final presents will be under the tree. The preparations will have been made. The families will gather. The food will be prepared. The gifts will be opened. The children are counting the hours. So when you see those gifts, and you see one under there to you, you're going to open it, you're going to leave it. You're going to leave them under the tree. What good is a gift that's never been opened? Jesus Christ is God's gift to you. And you're never going to experience true joy until you personally receive Him as your Savior. And you say, you know, Pastor, I received Him in my life many, many years ago. So now, can, I, can I encourage you to get back to the heart of Christmas? To get back to the heart of the fact that Jesus Christ has come. And that as, as the world celebrates Christmas, which is amazing, the world celebrates Christmas, that we are celebrating Christmas as well with a different purpose. And that different purpose is that we've been given the gift of eternal life because we believed in who this baby is. Let's get back to the heart of Christmas. Because joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning we are amazed. What are we saying this morning? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And God, this baby in a manger did not stay a baby. He grew. He lived a life here. He was rejected by men and he hung on a cross and he paid the penalty of my sin God those sins that I have committed he did it for me and Lord I I worship his birth but Lord I also worship his death and resurrection Because through that, I have been given the gift of eternal life. The gift of heaven. The gift of worshiping you for eternity. And that the promise is that there's nothing that's going to separate me from that. God, this life gets hard. We go through sicknesses. We go through trials. We go through afflictions. We go through disease. 
We go through family members who pass away. We go through difficulties. But God, help us to never lose sight of the fact of who we worship. That it's ultimately to bring you honor and glory. And we look forward to the day where one day that can be all cast aside. So today, Lord, we do. We worship your birth. We worship that baby. We worship him with joy. We love you. We praise you this morning. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen.